and Luke chapter 8, verse 19 is where we will start. Hopefully everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I know it was probably a different kind of Thanksgiving uh, than perhaps uh, historically or normally, but nonetheless, uh, we are thankful, and uh, it's good to good to be back together um, here on Zoom with you all, and uh, to uh, see your smiling faces and hear some of your voices here before even uh, service started. So it's always encouraging. Luke chapter eight, verse nineteen. Uh, last time we talked about the the lamp on the stand. The, before that, we talked about the parable of the sower. And here we'll continue in verse 19. It says, Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He even commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. And we'll stop there for now. Um, Title of my lesson this morning is Family Matters. Um, And here we have two stories next to each other about Jesus' mother and brothers and about Jesus here calming the storm. You know, this uh, it's always great to read Luke. Um, Luke is a Greek and... uh, He's a Hellenistic uh, Jew, most likely. And uh, it's interesting when you read the other Gospels, they talk about the Sea of Galilee. Of course, to a Jew, uh, Jews in Hebrew, there's no word for ocean because Jews never saw an ocean. The biggest thing they saw was the Mediterranean, which was a sea. And they called their, uh, their, their little body of water there the Sea of Galilee, right? This great sea. Of course, Luke from Greece calls it a lake here, which is um, kind of funny. Uh, you get to see his, uh, his Greekness come out. But in these two stories, I want to talk a little bit about what is going on here with Jesus as he continues to go through and talk about the kingdom of God and about his mission here on earth with his band of disciples that are following him. Now remember, his band of disciples consists not just of the 12, but also uh, rich women, uh, Mary Magdalene, the, probably the prostitute, right? Uh, a kind of a band of, of misfits that are following Jesus here as he goes and he teaches about the kingdom of God. And the Sea of Galilee, uh, or the Lake of Gennesaret, as you might call it if you're Luke, um, either way, the Sea of Galilee is actually surrounded by hills. And those hills, when, it, when, it, when the conditions are right, when the wind is right and the temperature is right, you can get a squall or you can get a storm kind of quickly, kind of out of nowhere. And it can be very frightening um, because of how quickly those storms can appear in a moment. And remember, too, that these men here in the boat with Jesus are, some of them, most of them are fishermen. So the fact that they are scared for their life is not a small thing. It's a big thing. Something has come in on their life that has caused them to be very much afraid. And they, they wake up Jesus. In the picture here, Jesus has a halo around his head. I don't think Jesus had a halo around his head in the actual scene. 
But, you know, here he is sleeping there uh, in this storm, which is incredible, sleeping through the storm. And then, of course, the disciples wake him up and Jesus says, where is your faith? You know, the, the disciples ask something interesting, if you noticed here in this verse. Uh, at the end, uh, it says, in fear and amazement, verse 25, where is your faith? Jesus said, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? Who is this? You know, Jesus has just finished telling a parable about the, par- the parable of the sower. There's the rocks, there's the thorns, there's the path, and there's the parable of the good soil. He also talks about the lamp, that a lamp shines its light. And all the while, as we look at, listen to those parables, we're thinking about who are the real followers of Jesus. And as we think about the real followers of Jesus, the good soil, of course we think of his apostles. As we think about the good followers of Jesus, who, who's going to be that lamp for the world? It's got to be his apostles, right? These guys got to be the A-team. They got to be the best of the best, the cream of the crop, the tip of the sword. But here it is at the end of the verse, after the calming of the storm, they say, who is this? Who is this? They, they don't even really know who they're following. And so the question is, why are they following Jesus? If they don't know who he really is, why in the world are they following him in the first place? You know, a storm could come up very quickly and be very frightening. And here we, we see inexp- when, when pressure comes, when tension comes, we usually see the real us shine through. And, and here, uh, I have a few points this morning. And I asked the question just a second ago, if the disciples don't know who Jesus is yet, why are they following him? And I think it may have something to do with the story that happened right before this, which is this story about Jesus's mother and his brothers and his family. And it says, Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You know, Jesus created family wherever he went. Uh, and family is an interesting idea, the idea of, of, of creating family. Obviously, when you think of family, you think of, of blood, right? You think of the people that are closest to you. When people are in our family, they're afforded special privileges usually. Uh, I'll give you an example. Like, like people in our family usually tend to protect us or fight to forgive us or they, they, they make extra efforts they wouldn't normally make, even if families have grown apart over the years. Um, and one example is when I was in Dallas, I've shared this story before, but when I was in Dallas, we had this summer camp for the church. And, uh, you know, we, we, we always, I always was so excited about trying to become boy camper of the week. And they've since got rid of those awards. I think it was damaged psycholog- damaging psychologically. But anyway, I was really excited about being boy camper of the week. And uh, my first time at camp. And anyway, Tuesday, early on in the week, I, I went out to play shortstop in one of these softball games that we played. And I thought if I could have a really good outing, maybe maybe here in the softball uh, pitch, then maybe I could actually, um, I could win camper of the week or something. So anyway, play shortstop, pop pop fly, hit right to me. It's my chance, my chance to shine, to really show that I was boy camper of the week material. And I dropped it, right? I dropped the pop fly. I was embarrassed. Everyone saw it. It was horrible. And not, not only did that happen, but from all the way across the field, my sister, I think I was probably eight years old and she was 10. My sister sees what happened. She runs across like three fields to get to me and give me a hug. And I was so embarrassed. I was so mad at her for doing that. I was like, you've drawn more attention to my failure 
But, um, but you know, of course, Kelly, my sister, she's all heart. She was just trying to take care of me. And of course, she won Girl Camper of the Week. And I, I, I never actually did win that award to this day, um, which is, um, I know, quite sad. But anyway, Kelly won the award. That's not the point. The point is, is that she, she ran three fields across to just give me that hug. And I don't know that Kelly would have done that if I wasn't her brother, right? She's not running across three fields to give hugs to everyone dropping pop flies at camp. She's only really doing it for her brother. And when we are in a family, we're more likely to invest in one another. When we're in a family, we're more likely to give each other more chances to to pursue forgiveness, to, to dig deeper, even if those relationships are difficult, even if that difficult relationship is your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your cousin. And we, we've talked about this before as well, but when we think about family, family is, is important uh, when you think about, yes, what we invest in each other, but family is also important for our psychological and emotional health. Uh, you know, we talked about this before, but a closed circuit, for example, the circulatory system is a closed loop. It's a closed circuit. The circulatory system, your blood does not need any, any external factors outside your body to pump blood. Your body's going to pump blood internally, on its own, closed loop, right? So that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is an open loop system or an open circuit system. And what we are as people, we are actually, our emotional health is an open circuit system, which means that to do emotionally well, to be emotionally happy, to do well, you you actually have to have outside influences affect you. And those outside influences can affect you both positively and negatively. Actually, there was a, in, in the American Medical Association, there was a survey done quite recently that said that uh, in cardiac care units, uh, where, where the nurse's general mood was uh, described as depressed or sad, where basically the nurses were usually downcast or sad or depressed, the death rate among those patients was four times higher than comparable units. So if you have to go to a cardiac care unit, choose the, the nurses carefully, right? It's like but if, if you had nurses that were upbeat and positive and encouraging and kind, you had a four times more likely chance of living. Isn't that incredible? Just simply your nurse's demeanor actually affected your chance of survival. And that's, that's what it is to really be in a family is, is to be able to enter into a community, to enter into a family. that uh, It's something you enter into where, where you actually are able to be who you are are supposed to be. And that family, that community actually helps you in your spiritual formation, helps you in your spiritual maturity, right? So community is vastly important. And so I asked the question earlier, why are these people following Jesus? I think, sure, he was a wise rabbi. I think, sure, he did some miracles. He was impressive, sure. I got to believe that this guy created family wherever he went. Why was Mary Magdalene, the prostitute, following him? Right? Why was a rich woman Her- who, who managed Herod's household, household from earlier in chapter 8, we saw, why is she with him? Why are, why are military men with him? Why are people from the country, rural folks? Why are people from the city, city folks? Why are people of, of, of Hellenistic Jews like Luke? Why are Jews or Samaritans? Why are people of different races all following this guy? And yes, I do think it's a, it's a combination of factors, but I also think it's what he says. My family are those who hear the word of God and do it. For Jesus, family was not about blood. For Jesus, family was about those who did the word of God, those who had faith. And and you could be treated as family with Jesus. And that's what we all really deeply want. We want to be part of communities. We want to be part of families. You know, Jenny and I were part of this uh, Insight Conference recently where it just happened and it went went incredibly. 
But one of the things as we talk to a lot of 20-somethings about what kind of conference they want, you know what's amazing is, is, is it's community. People want to talk about community. You know, uh, Kelly Jane talked about this podcast, Bama, that's successful. And one of the reasons Bama is successful is because it, it, it kind of taps into to some of the strengths of Judaism. And one of the strengths of Judaism is, is, the, is the, the, the family unit. It's connection. It's purpose. It's 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 being able to to have that empathy and connection. That in, in in our day and age, it's something that we crave more and more and more and more. And our world is trying to create it. By the way, how do, you may be asking yourself, Drew? How is the world trying to create family? Great question. They're trying to create family because they see that it's a need as well. And, and here, before I, I guess I better set that up. But there's a quote by a guy named George uh, Donaldson, I believe is his name. But he talked a little bit about kind of how the world is creating family. And since the 1920s, this author actually saw America, particularly America, shift in the way that it creates community. And what he said is quite fascinating. He said, consumerism also shifted the American sense of community from communities based on shared values toward communities based on shared types of consumption. That is scary. Basically, for thousands of years, communities were based on shared values. What did you believe was true? What did it, what did it mean to be a good person? And in America, since the 1920s, what, what Moss is saying is he's saying, actually, Americans have shifted toward communities based on what kind of things you buy, what kind of private school your kids go to, uh, what kind of political party you donate to. Uh, the, these things create community based on your consumption, what you buy, which means that our culture is actually affecting what kind of communities we are in. And what we, our definition of family is actually changed by American culture. That's incredible. He goes on to explain, uh, but beneath the surface of unity of mass consumerism and participation in new leisure activities, cultural conflicts and tensions seethed. American society was fragmented along many fault lines, Urbanites versus rural folks, wasps, that's white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, versus ethnics, white against black, and perhaps the most profoundest divide between those who embraced a modernist culture and those who retained traditional values. Well, what's all that basically saying is, and we see this in our world, we saw this in 2020, is that we can try to be community and we can, be, we can play family all we want, but are we really family? You know, families get deep. Families are real. Families are honest. But the thing is, is when your community is based on what kind of things you buy, consumerism, when your family's based on that, you can't really get that deep. You can't really get that honest. And you, you, you still have what, what Moss calls fragments. You have urbanites versus rural folks. You have white versus black. You have modern culture versus traditional values. You, that, that those frictions don't just go away. The only way you can truly deal with it is with true community. And that's what Jesus is trying to bring to the world. It's why he heals so many people who are on the fringes of society is to bring them in to a new community, a new family, not a family based on Judaism, but a family based on on, on expanding that light that's not under the bed that light to the world and that Jude- that light of Judaism is supposed to spread to the whole world through Jesus in his new kingdom. And my first point is how do we create family? That's what this is all about, right? That's what Jesus is trying to do is create true community, true family. Well, number one, the word of God creates family, right? And I have this scripture again. I must have it up because it's important. I don't know, maybe not. But Jesus said to them, 
My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You know, the word of God creates family. If we are going to have true community church, we've got to get deep. We've got to be real. We've got to be honest. We've got to be faithful. And in order to do that, we have to have shared values. We've talked about this a lot, but we can't have shared values if we don't agree on what's valuable. And for us, it's got to be the word of God. I actually think that the Blue Ridge Church is quite good at friendship. Um, I, don't, I don't know how good we are, though, at having that friendship be based on the word of God. And I include myself in that. I include myself in that. But, but are our discussions, uh, are our interactions, does it really stem and flow from the word of God? And not just from hearing it. And this is, where, this is, this is, this is uh, the proof in the pudding, right? It's got to be doing the word of God together. I have the picture of the plant there because we just had the parable of the sower. Right? Who was the good soil? Those who hear the word and God, God and do it. A couple chapters ago, we had the house built on rock. What was so special about the house built on rock? Those who heard the word and did it. Right? Jesus must be repeating himself. It's like when your mom and dad say something a thousand times, you remember it, don't you? Jesus is repeating himself. It's got to be hearing and doing, hearing and doing, hearing and doing. The word of God creates family. You know, it's 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 difficult to create family because... For a, lot of, for a lot of us, we were strangers before we got baptized. We didn't have things in common for most of us. And so to be able for strangers to be able to become family, it's why in the New Testament, Paul uses the word brother and sister so much. He's trying to remind people of their new family. And, and, and what that is, is that's reminding us to be able to go from stranger to invasive investing in each other, Right? invasive investing in each other. And that's hard to do. It's easy to do if you have the same values, right? It's easy for me. And this is what happens all, all the time, right? You go to a conference in our family of churches, you meet people you've never met before, and you're able to have these deep conversations just instantly. It's quite beautiful because there's shared values and those values are the word of God. And that value is Christ. You know, number two is family based on truth. I love Jesus here and what he does in these two stories because he's truthful here, isn't he? Right? Mom and dad come. Sorry, mom and actually we don't have dad here. Mom and brothers come um, and they, they want to see Jesus. And uh, he's not mean to them. He's, he doesn't say mom and dad, you know, mom and brothers, you guys aren't my family. Get out of here. You know, he doesn't say that. He substantiates that family is important. You guys are family. But he also says, but listen, there's a deeper family that's, that's there. And deeper family is fam- the family of faith not a family based on blood. And even here in the, in the storm, what does Jesus say? When they are deeply afraid and they're not being faithful and trusting about the storm, Jesus says, where is your faith? You know, family is not just positive affirmation. Family is not just attaboys and girls all the time. Family is not just, I need a safe place. Family is also truth. Jesus is honest with people. He's honest with them about where they are. And that's, that's difficult to do. It's, it's difficult for me to do. I know that I feel like I can be conditioned in our world to just um, be less and less and less honest because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what people will think of me. I'm afraid of losing that relationship. I'm afraid of being canceled. I'm afraid of being blocked. I'm afraid of being kicked out of some, being someone's friend because I'm honest with them. 
And yeah, I think our culture does affirm that, but it's my own insecurity, my own sin as well that causes me to shrink back from being truthful with people. Being truthful, but family is based on truth. You know, some of us perhaps have been in families or had family situations where you just try to keep it shallow the whole time, right? Okay, we're having Thanksgiving dinner, just keep it shallow, right? Because you don't want to get in a fight, you don't want to make anybody mad. You know, this is all hypothetical, of course, but you've all been in those situations where where you want to keep it shallow, but it has, there's, there's no real depth. And when the storm comes, as the quote we looked at earlier, everything fragments. Everything is reduced to your deepest value. And finally, number three, it's family based on grace. You know, Jesus is gracious toward his mom and his brothers. He's not mean to them. He's truthful, but he's also gracious. Jesus is truthful with his disciples when he says, where is your faith? but he's also gracious, right? Every one of these stories, like Jesus says, listen, you gotta be the good soil. You gotta be the lamp on a stand. And then they fail. He doesn't give up on them. He doesn't kick them out. He says, where is your faith? He's honest with them. Actually, I love the way he asks it. Where is your faith? It's not like you faithless dogs, right? He's not like you, you're faithless. He says, he says, where is it? I know you guys got it. Where to go? I know you can do it. Where'd it go? Where is that faith, Peter? Where is that faith, Andrew? Where is that faith, Simon? Come I know it's there. Where is it? Where is it? And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's based on grace. This, I think, is the hardest thing for us. This, I think, is the hardest thing for us. Family based on grace. Now, let's be truth tellers. Yes, but we also got to have a family based on grace. You got to have both, grace and truth. But I think sometimes... What happens is, is we, uh, sometimes we tell this story, and it's a true story. We tell this story when people get baptized, they go through Bible studies, and we talk about how when you sin, you create a wall between you and God, okay? And, and you got to destroy that wall. You got to have Jesus help you destroy that wall. But after we get baptized, sometimes we, we continue to think about our relationship with God that way. We continue to think that when I sin, there's a wall between me and God. I put up a wall. I have no access. I've got to now to earn, I've got to prove that I deserve to be with God. And then what you do, because that's how you treat God, you begin to treat people that way. And after you become a Christian, you just get better and better and better at kind of trying to hide. You get better and better and better at being two-faced, about hiding who you really are, because you think, well, I can't, I can't be honest with people. I can't be truthful with people. I can't confess to people because then they won't accept me. I built a wall between us. I built a wall between myself and God, and, and I can't approach God. I can't approach people until the wall is gone. And that wall is gone when I start doing better, when I have a better week, when I have a better day, when I feel better about my performance. But this is all wrong. This is all wrong. This is not the way to view our sin. Once Jesus has taken that uh, certificate right? And he's destroyed it. He has nailed it to the cross, as Colossians 2 says. A better view would be to realize that after we become disciples, Jesus is there with us, looking at our sin with us. And we have to be able to see our sin with Jesus. We have to be able to imagine that his arm is around us, looking at our sin with him. There's an honesty, a reality, a truthness about who we are and what we've done that Jesus is there with us, then we will be able to address it honestly with people because we won't be worried about what they think. We won't be worried about rejection. We've already, we've, we have to theologically see things with Jesus first in a correct and accurate way. Then we'll be able to confess to people because Jesus has got our back. We'll be able to be honest because Jesus gives us security. 
will be able to be gracious because Jesus gave us grace. We cannot have a community based on truth and grace unless you have a relationship with Jesus based on truth and grace. We cannot be able to just do this in our church and let's just be a church that, no, we got to go to Jesus first. That Jesus is that shared value. And when we think about the storms that come, we think about these things that affect our lives. If we're going to have a community based on shared values, well, who's that shared value? Well, it's Jesus. We have to have a community that, that encircles, that surrounds Jesus, that he is the one we model all of this after. Because every time we go to Jesus in our personal time with God, we're able to then go to each other in confidence. If we go to him in confidence, we can go to them with confidence. If we're honest, if we see our sin and we're honest about it with Jesus, we'll be able to be honest about it with each other. If we confess with Jesus, we'll be able to confess with each other. If we see that Jesus has forgiven us our sin, we are more likely to forgive others their sin. If we see Jesus' grace toward us, we can give endless grace to others. And then we begin to see the community that Jesus always meant to build. Jesus is truth and grace. What does John 1.14 say? It says, Now the word became flesh and took up residence among us, We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. How are we able to have a community based on grace and truth? Well, because Jesus is based in grace and truth. He is grace and truth, right? We we talked about why did the apostles follow Jesus when they did not quite know who he was? Because they saw something in it for them. They did. But Jesus chose the disciples knowing exactly who they were and knowing that there was nothing in it for him. Jesus is the community that we desire, and there's no point in pursuing community without Jesus, because it will just be reduced to urban versus rural. It will just be reduced to American versus non-American. It'll just be reduced to race versus race. It'll just be reduced to male versus female. It'll be reduced to these worldly distinctions. Now, I'm not saying the distinctions are not there, I'm saying that they're not what we build community around. We build community around faith. We build community around Jesus. Look at his ragtag group of followers. They weren't all from the country. They weren't all from the city. They weren't all women or all men. They weren't all rich or all poor. Look at this great cross-section of the world following him because Jesus created family wherever he went. The word of God created family wherever he went. I'm going to close out with just this verse and then one One final thing, your shout made the waters retreat. This is Psalm 104. At the sound of your thunderous voice, they hurried off as the mountains rose up and the valleys went down. He looks down on the earth and it shakes. He touches the mountains and they start to smolder. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God as long as I exist. May my thoughts be pleasing to him. I will rejoice in the Lord. You know, at the end of the day, Jesus has the power with one word, The word of God has the power to quiet a storm. The word of God has the power to still a storm. The word of God has power to do so many things. The word of God also has power to create family. The word of God has power to create family. And just as the verse has told us, anchor for the soul, shelter from the storm, manna in the morning, morning, blessings overflowing, leading us to home. When we have Jesus, we have an anchor for a soul, we have a shelter from a storm, and we have a family based on him that will forgive, that will reconcile, that will fight 
that will invest, that will confess, that will offer grace, that will affirm with kindness, but will also be truthful in sobriety. We have this, we have all that we need, and it's not based on the worldly distinctions out there. It's based on the faith in the Son of God. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll take communion. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time.